That's good. Thanks, Ray, for setting that up. Appreciate that. Welcome to King of Kings family. Grab your Bibles or your devices. We want to begin to jump into the Word of God after a great time of just uh, interacting with God in worship. You know, we receive from the Lord in so many different ways. Sometimes it's while we're worshiping, He's giving us downloads, He's giving us words and pictures and scriptures. Sometimes it's through the reading of the Word, like Tyro did. Thank you, Tyro, for such a good reading today. And uh, thank you, uh, those that brought prophetic words earlier. We could receive from the Lord in the prophetic sense, and we can also receive from the scriptures. We're hoping that you receive from all of these facets uh, today. You know, this is a time where I like to welcome you. So welcome to the house. Welcome to community, uh, King of Kings Community Jerusalem. Everybody that made it into the house, welcome everybody watching online tonight, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and around the world. I did notice, however, there are a few countries missing that are normally here watching us online tonight. I also discerned, maybe from the Spirit, maybe not, that the, the countries that are not watching seem to be related to the countries that are playing in the World Cup right now. I'm just noting that. I'm just putting it out there as something I noticed. I'm not saying we in the house are more or more or less spiritual than the people who are watching soccer, football. Um, I did give in instructions to the, uh, to the ushers and those that help us in building management. If you're having trouble getting on Wi-Fi tonight, that's the same reason. I don't want you checking the score in the middle of the sermon. So I had to make the, a promise to the worship team that I would give a score update every 10 minutes during the sermon. It is currently 0-0. Zero, zero. That's how soccer goes, by the way. See, all the... All the Westerners got that joke. Middle Eastern was like, what do you mean, zero, zero? That's a great game. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, the Lord gave us a word picture in the, in the prayer time, and I just want to invite everybody that as you come in, if you'll come a little bit early, I know that's a challenge, but if you can come a little bit early and you want to join us for a few minutes, it's about 15 or 20 minutes of prayer, dedicated prayer, we do it right through the side doors. Come in there and pray with us for just a few minutes. We wait on the Lord. We seek his face for what he's going to do tonight in the, in the service. And there's a lot of freshness that comes. It's, it's more than just general prayers. It's very specific prayers. And I wanted to relay a, a word picture that the Lord gave our prayer team and our prophetic team before service. And it wasn't just something that I thought of. It was confirmed by others. And that's why I wanted to share it. It was confirmed by two other people on the prophetic circle and the prophetic council. So... What it was, was this. It felt like, or it seemed like, there was a word picture that right above us here in the sanctuary was a large silver round air duct. If you know what that is, it's like a big pipe. And it was coming out of the ceiling down here into the sanctuary. And every time we lifted our hands and we worshiped and we asked the Lord, Lord, would you give us your spirit? Then a, a, a mighty wave of the Holy Spirit presence and wind would come shooting through the pipe out into the sanctuary. Every time we would say, Lord, give us more, it would, whew, he would give you more right through the pipe. And then just like a wave comes in and then goes back out, the wave would come into the sanctuary and then it would whew, go back up. 
And when it would come into the sanctuary, the Lord was pouring out his spirit. He was giving you breakthroughs and miracles and, and he was healing people. He was healing relationships and he was answering questions that you have. If you came tonight with a prayer question, the Lord wanted to answer that question when he poured out. And at the same time, it would suck back up. And when he was sucking back up, he was sucking out poison from inside of us. So he was pouring out a spirit and he was sucking up poison. Poison, what would that be? It would be lies, deceptions, things you've told yourself, things other people have told you, things people have told you about God that aren't true. And he would pour out his presence with a breath and he would suck out the poison. And he kept doing that all night long. As long as there was someone in the house saying, Holy Spirit, give us your presence, he would keep doing it. Can we do that for a minute before we dive into the word? Just put your hands in whatever position receives from the Lord. Father, we say collectively as a community today, please pour out your spirit, Holy Spirit. Send your fire upon us today, God. And at the same time, we yield. So we receive your outpouring and we also yield to whatever you want to suck out of us today. Suck the poison, the lies, the deception. Maybe we've lied to ourselves. Maybe we've listened to lies about you or other people. Maybe we've, we've received an evil word about a brother or sister we weren't supposed to. We ask you to take that poison out of us today in the name of Yeshua. Pour out your spirit, but take the poison away that we might be a pure bride tonight in the name of Yeshua. Amen? Amen. All right, now our spirits are ready. We're going to dive into his word. If you're joining us and you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've been in a series called We Are the Temple. And our premise here is that Yeshua calls us the temple. And if in fact we are the temple of God, it behooves us to know what it is we are. What was the temple for? What did it do? What, what were all the articles in the temple about? What were the meanings of these things? How can we be it if we don't know what it is? How can we let the Holy Spirit work in our life with the outworking of righteousness and power and godliness if we don't know what the articles stand for? How can we display God's kingdom on earth if we don't even understand the pictures that he's giving us? And so for this series, We Are the Temple, we wanted to break some of this down. In week number one, we looked at the temple itself starting with the tabernacle, then into the first temple, the second temple. We even looked at the heavenly tabernacle slash temple. We didn't spend a lot of time on the third temple, although we did indicate that there is a third temple coming, apparently. And finally, we noticed that in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, there is no temple because Yeshua's there and we are there. Those are all the ingredients you need for a temple, right? You have the high priest, then you have the temple. We're all together. No building needed. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. That is the main verses of this series. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We looked through all of the temples and tabernacles. We even looked last week at the Ark of the Covenant we reviewed the Ark of the Covenant, its purpose and its meanings. We even looked at all the smaller elements from the atonement cover, the cherubim, the poles and rings, the contents inside. If you missed any of that, you can catch it on the King of Kings archive on the website. Tonight, 
I want us to look at another article in the tabernacle and in the temple. We want to look at the seven-branch menorah, the candlestick. What is it about? What is it for? And how does it relate with us? I want you to leave here with tools tonight. Now, as we get started, those of you that have been in the faith for a while, you're going to catch on pretty easily to these early notes because you've been in the Word a long time. But if you're new to the faith, some of this is going to be very new to you. So pay attention. As we get a little bit later in tonight's message, even some of the more mature among us, hopefully you're going to be receiving a newness and a freshness of the Word of God as well. The ark may be the most famous of the articles, but slightly less famous might be the menorah. It was first found in the tabernacle and later in all of the temples that we mentioned. Now, historically, the menorah has been a symbol of Israel itself. It's been a symbol of Judaism. It's been a symbol of Zionism. And today, it is still the official emblem of the state of Israel. It's not the flag, but it is the emblem. You have to understand the difference of those two things. But as we start to look at it a little bit, we might say to ourselves, okay, let's break it apart. Why does it need seven branches? After all, at Hanukkah, don't we have the Hanukkiah that has nine? Well, that has nine for a reason, right? The eight days of the miracle and the shamash candle. So we know why it has nine, but why does the menorah and the tabernacle and temple, why does it have seven what is the big deal about seven? Now, if you're new to us, you've never heard me say this before. If you've been with us, you hear me say it all the time. God does not do random. He doesn't do accidents. He's very thoughtful. He's very planned out. He's very organized. Some of you that have struggles keeping your closets clean, when we get to heaven... I promise you it will be clean. Sometimes I think when we're here in Jerusalem and it's not the cleanest city, we are not representing the kingdom as well as we could. The kingdom of God is a very organized kingdom. It's labeled, everything's labeled. Everything's in boxes and bins. No, I'm just kidding. That was for all you organized people. You're like, that's right, label maker. Put a label on it. All right, I love God. He's very organized. Why seven branches? Well, let's start with Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, and look at a pattern of the significance of the number seven first. Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And he blessed it and sanctified it and made it holy the seventh day. And thus begins a pattern that we see in the scriptures. Creation itself was on a seven-day cycle. The Sabbath day given to us as a gift, the day of rest, is also set on a seven-day cycle. But there are so many more that we can connect with. Look at Exodus 24, starting in verse 12. The Lord said to Moshe, or to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments 
that I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. And when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. What do you think? That was an accident? Or you think God waited patiently for day number seven? Emphasizing something. He could have gone to him on day number one. Moses was there. Joshua was there. Aaron and Hur were down at the foot of the mountain. They were taking care of the people. Everything was good. God could have just done it on day one. He could have just said, good, you're here. Everything's in place. Here, here are the laws. No, but for emphasis, for a pattern, for a meaning, God patiently waited until the seventh day. And then on the seventh day, he released his instructions to the people of Israel. So even when it comes to covenant giving, we see that the number seven is important to God. It's not just the Sabbath day that's on a cycle of seven. It's the Sabbath year. Every seven years. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 31. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year of canceling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Remember, he gave the instructions on day seven, and he's, we're commanded to read it again every seventh year in its completion. It wasn't just the Sabbath year. It's also the year of Jubilee. It gets even bigger. It gets even deeper. The year of Jubilee is set on a cycle of every seven years, seven versions of seven years. We get the year of Jubilee. It says in Leviticus 25, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seventh Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Did you also know that Israel was commanded to walk around Jericho for seven days? And on the seventh day, they were commanded to walk around seven times. And on that seventh day, seven times, there were seven priests to blow seven shofar. Come on, guys. This isn't hard anymore. This is a pretty easy number to grab. If you don't know, you know what I love about my kids? Oh, I love my kids so much. I have four beautiful kids, so intelligent. And we do Bible time all the time. We pray together. We go deep. We try to make it as friendly as you can. But when the age gap, you know, it's really. And so some of the older ones get a little bit annoyed when the youngest one raises her hand and says, Daddy, I have something to say. And of course, we're going to stop and listen to what she has to say. But inevitably, she's going to just give us a long list of things we all know to be true. Right? Oh, sweetie, what do you have to say? Well, Dad, I want to say that um, God loves us and that um, we love Yeshua and that he gave us his word, and uh, you know that when you listen to God, you obey God, you get a blessing, and the other kids are like, why are you kissing up to dad? Like, why? Because I'm loving, I'm like, yes, yes. You've heard everything I've taught you that's so great. But then if you ask harder questions of the older children, here's their little trick. If they don't know, they just start 
answering the most common thing they can answer, even when it doesn't fit. Guys, why do you think the king of Israel chose to go to battle on that day? Because God loves him? True, thank you for stating a true fact, but that has nothing to do with the question I asked you. And don't you dare ask how many. Children, how many? Seven. I didn't even finish the question. It's seven, Dad. It's always seven. It's what you teach us. It's always seven. Whatever it is, whatever the question is, it's seven. Because my kids got it. There's something about that number. Did you know this? It goes deeper. It, gets, it even gets humorous to a point. That when somebody had a skin disease, they were to present themselves to the priest on the seventh day. There are also seven commanded festivals of the Lord. Two of them last seven days long. So many more examples, and that's just a, a quick example of a few. So when God says, we need to make something in the tabernacle that reflects my heart, it shouldn't be any surprise that it needed to have seven branches on it because that expresses God's heart. Now, you might say, well, how does it express God's heart? Well, let's just read a little bit about the menorah for a moment. Let's read a selection from Exodus 25. I'm going to read you about 10 verses, Exodus 25, starting in verse 31. And just listen to it because it's, it's going to explain a little bit about the menorah itself. It says, make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft, and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece of them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them on it so that they may light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be made of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So before we start to break down some specifics, we do have a couple of pictures. Team, do we have some of those pictures? Let's look at the first one. So this is the menorah that has been remade in Jerusalem right now by the Temple Society. It's on display quite often. If you go near the uh, Western Wall uh, area, sometimes you can see this. They'll put it on display. So this is what it looks like. They believe they've read the scriptures. They've made the base, the shaft, the lamps, and all of the cups so that the oil that you pour into it will... Um, will wet the wick, and the wick, just like a regular lantern, you can light it. So this may be a pretty good representation of it. I think we have a few other pictures because we have a version outside of the Knesset as well. Look at that. Right outside. So some point, our people are seeing the images of, of what God wants them to see. Now, the location of the menorah is also important 
Can we show the layout of the tabernacle again? We had that last week. Look at the layout. Let's see if we have the diagram again. Yeah, right there. Now notice we have the outer court, and there you have the altar of burnt offering, the bronze laver, and then you come inside of the holy place, and there is the lampstand. It is not inside the holy of holies, it's in the holy place. You say, why is that important? Well, we're gonna be getting to that in a second. The other thing I wanted you to glean from that lengthy reading was how many times it said almond branch. Cups and buds and blossoms and almond branches. And then whenever you make this, make it like an almond branch and a bud and a blossom and an almond and an almond and a branch and a branch. Now, at first you just read through it and you're like, that's great. Hey, God had to decorate it somehow. He picked the almond branch. Right? And then you get this picture like God's up in his throne and he's just like got a whole cup of almonds. He's just like throwing almonds in. Like, man, I love almonds. Let's just put it on a menorah. But I think it has a deeper meaning than just that. I'm sure God loves almonds, but I think it has a deeper meaning than that, especially how many times it was repeated in that passage. Now, you might remember last week, we mentioned for just a moment that when Israel was in the desert, they started to complain against Moses and Aaron. There was a rebellion against them, and God took care of the rebellion. And then God reminded Israel who was in charge because God delegated his authority to them. And the way they found out who was in charge was they took a staff, a wooden staff, from every one of the leaders of each tribe. So there were 12 staff, staffs. And they laid them in front of the ark. So there were 12 wooden staffs laid in front of the ark, and every one of them had the name of the tribe on it. And the next morning when they came back, only Aaron's staff had blossomed. Now this is a dead piece of wood that's been dead a long time. But on that staff came buds and blossoms of almonds. Huh. Now, hopefully that piqued your curiosity as much as it piqued mine. So now we have, when God wants to show his authority, he can do it through making the almond bud blossom. So then he takes that and he says, put it on the menorah. Make it out of that motif, that design. Out of all of the designs, guys, do you understand how many infinite numbers of designs God could have done with this? He could have gone with super modern, right? He could have gone with an olive tree, that would have been a cool one. I mean, olive, you know, it comes up in the New Testament. We really could have connected with that one. He chose almond for a reason. Now, if you know about Israel, its land, its history, its seasons and cycles, you might know that coming out of the winter, when the weather starts to turn warm finally, right as it's about to turn warm, the first tree in all of Israel that blossoms is the almond tree. You say, why is that important? Well, because the almond tree really represents the resurrection. It's that which was dead has now come back to life. And God is our great redeemer wanted us to understand this about him 
because we're going to need to embrace the resurrection in the days to come. That he's a God of restoration. He's a God of resurrection. And he wanted to imprint that even on the articles in the tabernacle and temple. So the almond branches are not just a representation of God's authority. It certainly is that. But now it's a representation of God's power of resurrection. That every time you see an almond tree, you should think about God's resurrection power. That out of death, he brought life. What's interesting is the timing of it as well. Remember, they're not even in Israel yet when they get this commandment. They're in the desert. They don't even know that the first tree to blossom is going to be the almond tree. They're not even there yet. They didn't see it. You see, that would have been cheating had they already got into the land and they said, oh man, what a beautiful tree. It's the first one to blossom. Hey, let's make the menorah out of that. That would have been man trying to make a connection. God gave them this resurrection connection in the desert long before they knew about the almond branches blossoming first in Israel. Why? Because God wanted to explain to them who he was long before they got to see the land. Know who I am. I'm a God of resurrection. Now, one day you're going to get to the land and you're going to understand this. You may not quite get it at first, but when you get to the land, you got to believe that when the first one of them realized that, hey guys, did y'all know? Joshua, did you? Did you know the first one to come back to life was the almond branch? That's amazing. Oh, that's why God, now, boom, everything makes sense. That's why God had us put it on the menorah. That's why. Friends, you know there's going to be lots of times in your life where you don't feel like you understand something. If you will hang in there with God, if you'll just be faithful a little bit longer, all those puzzle pieces will start to connect. They'll start to make sense in your life. You'll start to learn more about God and all of his prophetic fulfillment if you'll just hang in there a little bit longer. What does Revelation say three times? This calls for the faithful perseverance of the saints. Hang in there with God. He knows what he's doing. He told them to build the menorah and to decorate it out of almonds because of the resurrection message he wanted them to understand in years to come. That's how far ahead of us God is already. So now everyone can relax. He's ahead of you. He's carved a path out for you. He wants you to walk in it. And one of God's favorite phrases, by the way, over 20 times it appears in Scripture, is, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Why is that relevant to this discussion? Because they were a dead people that he resurrected. They were slaves that he made into a nation. There was a covenant that seemed like it was dead. It wasn't never dead to God, but it seemed dead to them. Where is God? I thought we were a chosen people. What happened? We're slaves in Egypt. We're not even in our own land. We can't even live out our own ways. God said, I've heard you. I'm going to resurrect you now. Come back from the dead, Israelites. And he made a people out of what were slaves. And he told them to imprint that on menorah with the almond branch. And yes, you'll understand it a little bit more later when you get to Israel and I make the almond branches blossom first. The symbolism of resurrection. 
But it doesn't stop there. It goes even deeper. Look at what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. It says this, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So when you think of the almond branches now on the menorah, I want you to think about God establishing his authority, God establishing his nature of the resurrection, and God explaining that I see all things. I saw you when you were in Egypt and you needed to be resurrected. I saw you, friends, when you were dead in your sin and you needed to be resurrected. I saw you. I'm the God who sees I'm the God who resurrects, and I'm the God who delegates authority. And, and maybe you just thought it was a menorah. But see, that's the problem. The problem is, many of us in the body of Messiah have read through the scriptures, and we've just decided to jump over stuff that seems irrelevant to us. And I can promise you there's not one irrelevant word in the whole scripture. I'm going to encourage you like I did before. Read slowly so that the Holy Spirit has time to explain things to you. Don't try to impress people with how much you read or how fast you read slowly and give the Holy Spirit time in your life. The number seven what does it mean? It means completion. It means perfection. It means every time God says he's going to do something and he fulfills that thing, that's the number seven. It means my promises will never be broken. My covenants will never fall. Israel, you thought the covenant had died, but it didn't. I never let it die. Now I'm going to resurrect you out of Egypt. I'm going to resurrect you from Babylon. I'm going to resurrect you from the grave. I'm going to resurrect you from sin because that's my nature as the God of the resurrection. Seven is his fulfillment of covenant. It's a completion. It's a perfection. And that's why it shows up so much in the scriptures. So we've learned two things already about the menorah. Number one, it had seven branches for a reason. And number two, it had almonds on its decoration for a reason. There's a deep message there. But there's one final thing I want to teach you about the lamp. It says in Exodus 25, 37, then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they may light the space in front of it. It may seem very obvious to you that the menorah gives light in front of itself. You have to remember where it was located, though, because this is crucial. Remember if we can go back to the, the diagram of the tabernacle for me for just a second, I want the people to see this. If you were in the outer court, you were outside and you would have the sun. The sun would shine in the outer court so you could see what you were doing. Do we have that diagram, guys? At the same time, if you were in the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, you had the glory of God in the Holy of Holies above the ark. So guess what? It was lit up. So the outside is lit up and the Holy of Holies is lit up. But in the holy place, look, it's in the middle. The holy place was inside the tent, had a roof. It had curtains and four sides and a floor. It was dark. Come on, follow me now. It was dark in the holy place. 
And yet there are other things that we have to do in there. We have to take care of the table of showbread, the altar of incense. That's where the Levites would go. They needed to see. You say, that seems really simple. It's pretty deep. Think about it. They had to be able to see what the Lord had called them to do. God had taken care of the outer court with the sun. God had taken care of the Holy of Holies with his presence. He needed them to work in the middle. That's where the priest went. They had a job to do. Let me give you the key phrase of tonight. God wants us to see and understand what he has called us to do. He wants you to see it. He wants you to understand it because he's called you to it. Can you imagine that if he called the priest to go into the holy place and there, there was no menorah in there and he's like, do the altar of incense and they're out. You know, you think you're lighting the altar and it's another priest going, hey man, you just lit my talit on fire. Sorry about that, man. I was, it's dark in here. You know, table of showbread and putting things where they don't belong. What if you put the, the showbread on the altar of incense? Now you got a lovely smell, but it's the wrong thing. God wants you to see and understand what he's called you to do. God has never shown a history where he wants you to walk in darkness or confusion. Never. Will I not reveal to my servant Abraham what I'm about to do? Do I not tell my prophets what I'm about to do ahead of time? Did I not give you the book of Revelation and the prophets so that you would know what was coming? Satan's, one of his biggest lies is to try to convince us that God is hiding something. And all the while God is saying, I'm hiding nothing. I'm trying to give my kingdom away. I'm trying to give my creation away. I'm hiding nothing. And that's what the menorah represents. He's not hiding anything. He wants you to see everything you're called to do. We're called to engage with God in this. So now we can see three distinct elements in the menorah. The seven branches symbolizing God's perfection and his completion. The almond branches symbolizing that God has brought Israel to life and that he is watching over them for their protection and judgment. The lighting of the space of the holy place, again, so that the priests could see what they were called to do. So how does all of this relate to you? You say, it's great, it's a decoration, I'm not part of the tabernacle, I'm not there, maybe it meant something to them in the ancient days, but I don't connect to the symbolism here, Pastor. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. As for you, notice it didn't say, as for the old people, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with the Messiah even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He is saying, did you not see the menorah? You were dead in your sin, but I'm the God of resurrection. Don't let this pass by you without grabbing it. Remember, you are the temple. You need to understand what you are. 
You are a symbol that God resurrects things from the dead. That's what you are. It's not all you are. You're also a symbol that God sees. God watches. Nothing gets past him. Romans 2.6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Revelation 22.12, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. 2 Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Proverbs 5.21, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of your paths. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He wants you to understand the menorah. He is a God who watches. He's a God who sees. He's a God who acts. And he's a God of the resurrection. Now, if we are the temple, we need to understand these things. How does it relate to us? Well, let's wrap this up now. Worship team, you can help me. The menorah, in its simplicity, gave light to a dark room called the holy place. But like the menorah, Matthew 5 says to us as believers, you are the light of the world. The world cannot see if you don't shine. Remember, you're the temple, so you're the menorah too, right? You are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. The seven branches remind us that God will complete his work because he is always fulfilling his promises. He's a God of completion. You say, how does that relate to me, Pastor? Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Yeshua, the Messiah. You are an example of God completing a good work and a promise. You are an example of God letting his light shine through you that others may see. And finally tonight, don't forget the almond branches and buds. You are an example of the resurrection of the dead. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But because of his great love of God who was rich in mercy, he made us alive in Messiah Yeshua. Friends, there's so much here. There's so much richness. I just don't want you to pass this by without seeing that you are the temple of God and what it is you are supposed to be. Tonight, I want you to take away three things. Take away that you are the light of the world. Take away that you are a symbol of God's resurrection because he resurrected you from the dead. And take away from this that God never goes back on one of his promises. Those seven branches mean God always completes the work he started even in you. Well, some of us may feel like we're failures, that we didn't live up to what God had called us to, that we don't even know our destiny yet, or we've, we've failed in business, we've failed in marriage, we've failed in friendship, finances, whatever it may be. The good news to you today is that you serve a God of the resurrection, and you serve a God of completion. So everything he called you to do, he wants you to see and understand. 
and anything you, anything you think you have failed in, he's not going to leave you in the state of failure. He's gonna bring it to its completion because he created you for that destiny. Would you stand to your feet with me? Let me just pray this impartation over you that you may receive it the next time you think of the menorah, the next time you see it, you will understand how you interact with it. It is not just a piece of furniture or decoration in the ancient days. It relates to you. It relates to who you are and who you're supposed to become. So Father, in the name of Yeshua, we just ask that wisdom would fall in this room. We ask that impartation of the Holy Spirit would fall. This is where, God, we had the picture that you would let your wind just fall on us right now. Blow on your people. And then suck out all the poison, all of the lies we've believed. Either about you or about others or about ourselves. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for letting us connect with the menorah that we have a role to play, that you took care of the outside with the sun and you took care of the holy of holies with the glory. But in the holy place, there needed to be the menorah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on down. So if you're a part of our prayer team, come on down. This is the opportunity where we have for prayer ministry tonight. There is no deeper connection. This is where it's going to be right here at the altar tonight. If you need prayer for any reason at all, physical sickness, mental ailments, relationship problems, finances, job, looking for a new house, need a breakthrough, need understanding, you feel lost, come and receive your prayer tonight. Come and get it. Let the Lord bless you in the way that he has planned tonight. The worship team is gonna help us for a few minutes with some quiet worship, but this is where we receive from the Lord in prayer. Come and receive your blessing tonight.